0: Regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Varying Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Gled with me on the program today. We're gonna be talking about this um, interview with the new executive director of Giffords, Emma Brown, at uh, Vanity Fair. As you might imagine, it is a puff piece interview for sure, uh, but it is still worth talking about, if only to delve into the narrative of the gun control lobby uh, because there are some fascinating falsehoods that are being perpetrated by Emma Brown in this uh, interview. So Brown is um, not only a veteran of Mark Kelly's Senate campaign, she also worked on Joe Biden's campaign. Uh, So she knows the Giffords, and I guess that's why she got the job as the uh, head of the gun control organization. So uh, the framing of this interview from Vanity Fair, I think is interesting as well. How the gun reform movement can finally break the grip of the firearm lobby. In an interview with Vanity Fair, Giver's new executive director, Emma Brown, lays out a fresh vision for engaging Republicans on firearm safety. A topic she thinks will be a major motivator for voters in 2024. Quote, there's zero ambiguity about where Donald Trump stands on the issue. Yeah, and zero ambiguity about where Joe Biden stands on the issue as well. Right? I mean, he has declared the firearms industry to be the enemy, right? He has called on a seems like almost daily basis for bans on commonly owned semi-automatic firearms, right? He has weaponized the ATF and basically turned it into a gun control group with law enforcement powers, tried to appoint a gun control activist, David Chipman to be the director of the ATF. When that failed, he went with a guy who had you know the same views as David Chipman, just didn't have the history of working as a gun control lobbyist. Uh, In uh, Steve Dettelbach, we've seen agency abuses and executive action abuses on the part of Joe Biden in terms of uh, rules going after unfinished frames and receivers, pistol stabilizing braces. And now this uh, proposed rule on who is engaged in the business of selling firearms that is designed to basically enact universal background checks without a vote by Congress. So, yeah, there's no ambiguity where Joe Biden stands either. Um, Honestly, I think there's probably actually more ambiguity about Donald Trump, right? I mean, he has stated that he will uh, defend the Second Amendment. Of course, we had the ATF's bump stock ban, which took place while Donald Trump was president. Uh, But regardless, I think between the two candidates, it's pretty clear that uh, there is a significant difference. One of them wants to destroy our right to keep and bear arms, uh, and the other does not. So in this interview with uh, Emma Brown, one of the things that um, they asked about, um, they said, uh, "You're taking over Giffords at an interesting moment for the movement. Several years of uphill fighting have seemed to pay off with some real wins recently at the federal level with the Safer Communities Act, as well as some action in the states." Uh, again, ignoring any <laughs> pro Second Amendment victories, right? Just, oh, you've seen some successes in states like California and New York. Uh, at the same time. The uh, Vanity Fair uh, author writes – and let me see if I can find the, uh, who this was. Eric Lutz. Uh, Eric Lutz says, at the same time, we've seen some new challenges arise. I'm thinking of Bruin. Um, if you had to take the temperature of the current state of the movement, where would you say we are right now compared with, say, 10 years ago? And Brown says, you know, a lot of people look at this issue and feel like we're trying to push a boulder. She said, but I think if you step back on it, it's been a tremendous amount of success in a short period of time. She says, in the past 10 years, we've gotten from a place where guns were really on the third rail of politics to a place where it's a major component of the Biden-Harris re-election campaign. Now, 10 years ago, I know it might seem like it was the 90s, uh, but 10 years ago was 2014. At that point, you had Barack Obama, right, in the White House. Uh, You had a huge surge in gun sales um, as a reaction to Obama's failed attempt to enact gun control as president, right?
1: So 10 years ago, gun control wasn't a third rail for Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Democrats in Congress.
0: Um, It is true that 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer now, but I think even 10 years ago, you still had, you know, 20%, 25% Twenty percent, twenty-five percent of Democrats in Congress who are A-rated. Now that's changed, right? The gun control lobby has certainly been able to make inroads among Democrats. It is almost verboten now to be a Democrat that expresses any support for the right to keep and bear arms, as we've seen in states like New Mexico this year, uh, Colorado. We talked with Laura Carno about this uh, yesterday. Um, you know, states where traditionally and historically there have been at least a couple of pro-gun voices on the left side of the aisle. Those voices have fallen silent, and they have fallen in line behind the anti-gun agenda. But Emma Brown says, uh, secondly, we've passed over 600 gun safety laws during the time that Giverts has existed, really improving the strength of safety laws across the country. Again, don't call it gun control, right? Call it gun safety. Where were those 600 laws passed, by the way? Seems like 500 of them were passed in California. But anyway, she says, then obviously in 2022, we saw the major federal gun safety law passed, the first one in 30 years, breaking a big log jam. So I think when you look at all of that and the history of social movements in the United States, this one is relatively young. And the gun lobby had a century head start. But we are making legal and policy strides. And the cultural and political progress, which is part of what we're really after. Again, that's important to note, the cultural and political progress, which is part of what we're really after, she says, is not far behind. That's obviously thanks to the groups, she says, that have been organizing for many decades, our law center being one of them, along with some of the more recent groups like March for Our Lives and Mothers of the Movement. Interesting, she left out Mom's Demand in Action. I wonder if there's uh, some, you know, shade between uh, her and uh, Shannon Watts. But she says, I think we have supercharged in the last decade. So this narrative that the gun lobby has had a century head start comes up again and again. In this interview with Vanity Fair. Is that true? You know, the gun, the modern gun control movement, I think really kicked off in the 1960s. And, you know, according to the conventional wisdom, the NRA was basically, which by the way, really was the only Pro 2A group around, uh up until the 1960s and early 1970s. The conventional wisdom is that, you know, this was really a sportsman's group, right? It didn't really get into lobbying. Uh, Until uh, the 1960s. And it certainly didn't get into uh, the type of political activism that uh, is part of the modern Second Amendment movement uh, until the revolt in Cincinnati in 1977, right? That's when the NRA became a political machine uh, and uh, really was out there with, you know, Second Amendment advocacy. So if that's the conventional wisdom, then I don't know where the hell Emma Brown's getting this, you know, 100 year head start for the gun lobbying. The modern gun control movement and really the modern gun rights movement. I hate that phrase, gun rights, by the way, because we're not talking about guns don't have rights. They're inanimate objects. The right to the Second Amendment movement really kicked off in the 1960s. Both sides really kicked off in the 1960s. You had groups like um, well, the coalition to
1: uh, ban handguns, right? Which turned into uh, eventually the Brady campaign. But I
0: don't agree with the idea that the gun lobby had a 100-year head start because this fight really has been going on, you know, I think since a couple of years before the Gun Control Act of 1968 was passed. You could say maybe 60 years. That's how long the modern gun debate between the gun control groups uh, like Brady and then again, over the last couple of decades, groups like uh, Mayors Against Illegal Guns, then the Moms Demand Action, then the Umbrella Group of Every Town for Gun Safety, Giffords, uh, and the like. But there's no 100-year head start for the gun lobby. What you have, I think, is a really a 200-year tradition of respecting the right to keep and bear arms that was called into question. Uh, really in full force starting in the 1960s. And since then, you know, it's been a battle between the forces of gun control and the forces of those defending our right to keep and bear arms. But I don't think that's a 100-year head start for the gun lobby. I think that's a two centuries-long recognition that our right to keep and bear arms is real and a fundamental civil right. The fight over those 200 years, by the way, has been about ensuring that right is available to all. Right, I mean, you can note the uh, maybe the you know nineteenth century precedents to groups like Giffords in every town. Uh, those laws that were put in place to deprive uh, free blacks, mulattoes, Catholics, Indians uh, uh, of their ability to uh, to own firearms. I mean, those were sort of the you know predecessors to the modern gun control movement. Right, but even then, those laws were largely outliers. They weren't really a part of the national tradition of keeping and bearing arms. Um, Emma Brown was also uh, uh, asked by uh, Eric Lutz. Um, He said the gun lobby was obviously seen as some kind of Goliath figure on this issue, but it has seemed somewhat chastened recently. We've seen the resignation of Wayne LaPierre at the NRA, but we've also uh, seen just kind of the culture shift around this issue. He says, is it right to see the gun lobby as being in retreat or is that wishful thinking? And uh Brown said, no doubt, of course, right? Again, I said this was a puff piece interview. No doubt, she says, thanks to the work of the larger gun violence prevention movement in Giffords, the NRA and the lobby's influence has significantly decreased. Oh, okay, yeah, all thanks to Giffords, right? Not not because of any exorbitant spending on the part of uh, you know, NRA leadership or anything like that. No, 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 no. no. And again, no noting, no recognition of Things really like the Bruin decision, right? Or the advent of constitutional carry, where we now have 27, soon to be 28, I think soon to be 29, constitutional carry states. South Carolina. We're one vote away in the uh, House. Uh, Louisiana, I, I think we're going to get constitutional carry this year. Emma Brown, Eric Lust from Vanity Fair, they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to bring it up. Uh, but there was another, I think, revealing part of the anti-gun narrative, Uh, that Emma Brown spoke about in her interview with Vanity Fair. She says um, it's really for one reason that uh, the gun control groups are supposedly um, unable to enact all of these, quote unquote, common sense gun laws. Right. And she says it's the corporate gun companies and the decades long hold that they've had on Congress and state legislatures. So, again, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the millions of grassroots activists around the country who stand up and say, no, you're not infringing on our Second Amendment rights. That is the real grassroots movement here. We don't have deep pocketed billionaires like Michael Bloomberg. I wish Elon Musk would be our Michael Bloomberg. I kind of wonder why he's not our Michael Bloomberg. But we don't have a Michael Bloomberg on our side. What we have are millions of everyday Americans. Right, who come together in support of our right to keep our arms. And that's something that the gun control lobby cannot recognize. They cannot acknowledge. Instead, they have to come up with this false narrative that, well, the only reason why we haven't passed gun control laws is because of the corporate gun companies, right? And the hold that they have on Congress and state legislatures. She says, uh, so for Giffords and for the larger movement in this next stage, we have to finally break that grip, she says. That means continuing to put people in public office who will really prioritize safety over the gun lobby's money. Yeah, like in Colorado, where, you know, Democrats have had complete control of government for, what, the past decade, and violent crime has almost doubled as they put more gun control laws on the books, right? That kind of public safety, Emma? Really? She says it also means holding bad actors accountable for their abuses. Not the actual criminals, you know, who pull the trigger, mind you, right? But the gun companies who sold a firearm that was eventually used in a crime. Um, she says, we still live in an age where you can't sue a gun company after a mass shooting in most cases and in most states. We still live in an age, she says, where a 21-year-old kid, 21-year-old kid. Now, <laughs> I don't know about you. I, I was under the impression that 21-year-olds were adults. I mean, they can vote. They can drink. They can serve in the military. They can serve in a jury. But again, this is the infantilizing of uh, adulthood, right? That is, I think, an inherent part of the gun control lobby uh, in its agenda. Uh, you know, we hear this all the time. Well, I mean, you know, our brains don't stop developing until we're 24, or 25, so you shouldn't be able to own a gun until you're at least that old. But, I mean, you should be able to vote when you're 16, right? Yeah. She says, um, uh, I would say that, anyway, she says, we still live in an age where a 21-year-old kid on TikTok is being served AR-15
1: content. What, 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 yeah, an adult is able to look at
0: content involving legal firearms on social media. Now, I have a bigger problem with TikTok than I do with 21 year old kids. 21 year old kids, see, now she's got me doing it. 21 year old adults being able to access content on social media that involves firearms. She says, I would say that the impact of the uh, lobby, meaning the, the gun lobby, and its grip on our cultural and legal and legislative landscape in the United States is still strong, and we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, because again, you're trying to take away a right that millions of Americans have held dear for centuries. You're damn right you've got a lot of work to do, and you're going to meet a lot of resistance along the way.
1: So Emma Brown was asked uh, as well about the uh, the future of the movement, right?
0: Um, Eric Lutz says, uh, "You talked about a few priorities on the federal and state levels. I, I guess I'm wondering how much you think you can be done it can be done in the immediate future." He said, "I mean, it's difficult getting action on this anyway, but we're in an election year. What do you see as the mark of success in the immediate future between now and the election? Do you see much getting done in the United States at the federal level, or is a lot of this down the road?" Well, between now and the election, I mean, again, what a dumb question. We have a divided Congress. Uh, there aren't even the votes in the Democrat-controlled Senate to overcome a filibuster on gun control bills. So, no, you're not going to get anything done in Congress. Now, you might get something done again in the executive branch if you're a gun control activist. Joe Biden, perfectly willing and happy to uh, do whatever he can to aid the gun control lobby. But This, again, is a stupid question on the part of the uh, Vanity Fair reporter. Certainly not a tough question. Right, because that's not that's not what this interview is all about. So Emma Brown said, "Well, first we have to to keep at our work in the states." Uh, she said, second, I really think that addressing the community violence that is disproportionately impacting Black and Brown communities is really critical. It's the kind of thing that saves lives immediately, and we've seen that over and over again. And then third is transforming the national cultural conversation on guns. That's not an overnight thing, but holding corporate companies accountable in court." And educating the public on their role in the crisis, I think, will have a pretty dramatic impact in how this issue is seen. So again, it's about changing the culture. It's about uh, convincing Americans to believe like Joe Biden believes, that gun companies are the enemy, right? That uh, if somehow we destroy the firearms industry, that quote-unquote gun violence Uh, Is ended as well. At the same time, however, you know, again, they're talking about, well, we got to have outreach to Republicans, we have to have outreach to independents. Uh, She talks about how, you know, there are a lot of gun owners in Giffords, which is at odds again with the fundamental uh, premise of where she wants the gun control movement to go. And she didn't come right out and say, we're going to destroy gun ownership in this country. But by eradicating the firearms industry, she went into oblivion. I mean, that would be the net result, right? They don't want us making our own guns. They don't want us to be able to buy guns. So how do you have a next generation of gun owners if you have uh, taken away the ability to acquire a firearm? Um, again, she says that she wants uh, the public to start uh, thinking about these things, Right. Uh, educating the public on, on on the on the gun industry's role in the crisis, well, I want the public to start thinking about what the gun control
1: endgame is, and it's not gun safety, it's gun control. In fact, it's not even gun control, it's gun owner control, right And Emma Brown can do all these puff piece interviews that she wants, but the fact remains that gun ownership
0: and this is I, I think this was fascinating. In 2020 we saw what was it a, a something like a 40% rise in gun ownership, right? I mean, tens of millions of firearms were sold. We are, I think in the 52nd straight month of more than 1 million firearms sold according to the National Shooting Sports Foundation. So, when she talks about changing the culture, gun ownership is becoming more common. NBC News had this poll a couple of uh, months ago showing that the uh, number of households reporting firearms in them, 52%, the highest uh, figure that they had ever recorded. It would have been interesting for Lutz to have offered at least a couple of questions that weren't just softballs lobbed towards Emma Brown. Like, how do you say that uh, you're changing the culture? Um, when, in fact, it looks like more Americans are exercising their Second Amendment rights? How do you say that you're gaining ground when the gun laws that are being put on the books at state levels are in places where there are already a lot of gun control laws on the books or uh, are in places where Democrats have uh, managed to secure an electoral majority, right? Again, Emma Brown talks a lot about outreach to Republicans and independents, but the truth is that, by and large, Gun control is a Democratic uh, – capital D, not small d, by the way – uh, a an issue for the Democratic Party, right? I wish it wasn't the case. I, I think that when it comes to our fundamental civil rights, that should be a nonpartisan issue that both left and the right support, but that's not the world that we live in. So it's interesting to me that uh, Brown talks about all of this outreach to
1: the middle and to uh, conservatives – but she can't really point to a lot of success there.
0: So, uh, you know, clearly, I think if we want to read between the lines or even, you know, just uh, what she actually said outright, we are looking at a multi-pronged effort on the part of the gun control lobby, right? They're They're not putting all of their eggs in the legislative basket or in the litigation basket. They are trying to change the culture, which is why efforts like you know California's attempt to shut down gun shows or the uh moves that we've seen recently where you know if if you can uh, be accused of marketing to minors um then you could be sued
1: those types of of laws are meant to have a cultural impact right they are meant to
0: not break the grip of the gun lobby but they are meant to stop the next generation from understanding and appreciating their right to keep and bear arms, much less exercising that right uh, when they become 21-year-old adults, maybe 18-year-old adults, not kids, as Emma Brown would say. Uh, Beyond the cultural push You know, Emma Brown, I think, also made it very clear that uh, they're going to be doing a lot of work at the state levels. And we're already seeing this, you know, uh, again, whether it's Colorado, whether it's New Mexico, heck, even in Virginia. Um, You know, the House just passed a sweeping semi-auto ban. Uh, They are going after the right to carry. We'll see what uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin does. He, uh, His press secretary, I think, said, uh, well, he's going to consider every bill that comes to his desk. But, you know, he did say in his state of the Commonwealth address that uh, we've already got really good gun laws. And we need to be looking elsewhere. Uh, so he hasn't come right out and said, I'm vetoing every gun control bill that gets to my desk. But I certainly hope that that's the case. And I will be contacting his office once these uh, bills start arriving on his doorstep. Um, but, yeah, it looks like, again, uh, the, the, the fight, the primary fight with Congress stymied. Uh, and stalemated, is going to be at the state level. And Giffords and other gun control groups will be trying to make inroads in purple states, in red states, and they're going to have a lot of success there.
1: But if they can flip a purple state and turn it blue, right, that serves their purpose just as well as convincing independents or conservatives to get on board
0: with their anti-gun bandwagon. If they can silence those voices, they can turn them into an electoral minority. It doesn't matter if they support the anti-gun agenda or not because they won't have the power to stop it. So, yes, they are fighting to change the culture. Uh, They are going to be prioritizing state legislatures because I think that's where they see a, a more fertile ground. But again, they're also fundamentally dishonest about not just where they want to take this country, but where this
1: country is coming from, right? The 100-year head start for the gun lobby. No. We have a centuries-long tradition of keeping and bearing arms in this country, a tradition that was codified
0: into a right by the Second Amendment, which didn't grant that right. It wasn't that the right was established. It was merely a statement of fact that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed in 1791 by the federal government. 1868, when passage of the 14th Amendment by any layer of government, federal, state, or local. And it wasn't the NRA that came up with that language. It wasn't Wayne LaPierre or Charlton Heston who...
1: Drafted the text of the Second Amendment. Those words were put onto paper because we, the people—actually, we are forefathers and
0: mothers—demanded that it be there. Remember, the Constitution didn't originally come with the Bill of Rights. That's why it was amended, right? Uh, and if you read the uh, preamble
1: to the Bill of Rights, it explains exactly why we have it. Because Americans at the time were not convinced.
0: That the Constitution, as it was written, uh, would be strictly interpreted to confine the federal government only to those areas where it was specifically uh, allowed to act. And so they wanted further guarantees that the government would not infringe or intrude on these other areas of our lives. Again, our freedom of speech, our freedom to worship, our
1: right to a speedy trial, our right to be secure in our persons and property, and yes, our right to keep and bear arms among them. That's not an invention of the gun lobby. That was a guarantee that the American people demanded of the new federal government in 1787. The recognition of that right that shall not be infringed. And that is what we continue to defend today. All right,
0: so let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Not a true recidivist report, but again, just one of those what-the-heck headlines here. Probation for a woman who pleaded guilty to stabbing man, leaving him hospitalized in Fox River Grove, Illinois. Yeah, this is Illinois, and yes, Illinois' criminal justice fiasco does play a role in this. uh, 62-year-old Cynthia Dunn was charged back in June, with aggravated battery causing great bodily harm, as well as two cans of aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. She uh, stabbed a man. Uh, it was uh, June 29th, about 8 o'clock in the evening. Uh, the uh, Fox, River, Fox River Grove Fire Protection District and the uh, police department in Fox River Grove showed up at a uh, home on a report of a stabbing. Found a male victim who had been stabbed, transported him to a local hospital for treatment. Officers arrested uh, Don after identifying her as the suspect. She uh, apparently stabbed the victim in his right thigh with a 12-inch knife. He suffered a laceration that resulted in immediate medical attention and surgery. She was ordered held on a $30,000 bond following her arrest. Um, But, as uh, the Lake and McHenry County Scanner reports, after the Safety Act went into effect in September, Dunn's attorney filed a motion for release on pretrial conditions. Prosecutors filed a motion to detain Dunn until trial, but a judge granted the uh, defendant's motion and released her from custody. So while she's awaiting trial, prosecutors said that she tested positive for alcohol in violation of her pretrial release conditions. She also failed to appear for drug screens on multiple occasions, none of which resulted in her being taken into custody, and none of which apparently counted against her when she was offered a plea deal. Because she entered into a negotiated deal with the McHenry County State's Attorney's Office last week, pleading guilty to one count of aggravated battery with a deadly weapon, which is a Class uh, three felony. But McHenry County Judge Mark Gerhardt
1: approved the deal and then sentenced Dunn to just two years of probation. Now, she's supposed to undergo random drug screens, but
0: given that she apparently violated the terms of her uh, pretrial release, failed to show up for a couple of drug screens. I can't imagine she's going to take that condition very seriously. Why would she? The state has already demonstrated that uh, it really has no interest in strictly applying that particular law, right? So
1: here you have a 62-year-old Illinois woman pleading guilty to a violent felony and walking away with probation. Meanwhile, if you are a gun owner who is eligible
0: to possess a firearm, but you don't have a FOID card in Illinois. Maybe you're carrying a firearm without a concealed carry license. Oh, there's a really good chance you're going to do more than two years probation. Yeah, because apparently the state treats that more seriously than, you know, stabbing someone. Uh, today's armed citizen story from Alabama, where a sheriff says a 47-year-old man was shot multiple times as he tried to invade the home of his ex-wife. Uh, this was in Calhoun County, Alabama. Sheriff Matthew Wade says deputies dispatched early Tuesday afternoon to a home in the community of Alexandria. On reports of a home invasion and shooting, the caller identified her ex-husband as the intruder, 47-year-old Scott Ingram. Deputies arrived to find Ingram with numerous gunshot wounds. Uh, he apparently was still breathing. They uh, uh, took him to a local hospital for treatment, as condition not immediately known. The sheriff says that Ingram was shot when he tried to gain entry to the home. He didn't say who fired the shots, but he did say that Ingram has a substantial criminal history, including four previous violations of protection from abuse orders, six arrests since 2022, and an active warrant that had been issued just hours before the shooting for violating a protection from abuse order. You know, when I saw this story, I thought about the conversation we had recently with Nikki Gozer about National Stalking Awareness Month, uh, which was in January. And, you know, both Nikki and I agree. An order of protection, it, it, I would never tell anybody
1: don't get an order of protection. Um, but it is a piece of paper. It is not a suit of armor, right? It can provide you with uh,
0: the opportunity, hopefully, if somebody violates that order, to see them taken into custody. As Nikki said, if you are forced to act in self-defense, um, this it can also be a factor, right? Um not necessarily conclusive evidence that uh, again a, a shooting was justified but in this case you've got somebody who had multiple orders of protection taken out against him had violated those orders multiple times had tried to invade his
1: ex-wife's home you know chances are he wasn't there to deliver cookies right so i am grateful that um the woman in question here uh not only
0: took out those orders of protection they not only stayed on top of this, contacting police when those orders were violated, but she or somebody else in her home also took the step to secure her personal safety if those orders were violated. And if this guy came through the front door, a piece of paper wasn't
1: going to save her then. But being able to act in self-defense, well, it very well may have saved her life on Tuesday afternoon,
0: either uh, her own life. Well, certainly her life, but it may have been uh, her actions, it may have been the actions of somebody else in the home. Again, we don't know, um, but whoever it was, uh, I think saved a life yesterday. Finally, today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time, we able to do the right thing. Perhaps another uh, life-saving encounter. This one at a, a waffle house in South Carolina, where a, a police officer on hand when a uh, person started choking happened back on a January 15th. Corporal Jay Cogdill. Noticed a a woman who was struggling to breathe there at the uh, Waffle House and uh, approached her, uh, quickly realizing, okay, yeah, she's choking. Started performing the Heimlich Maneuver. About 20 seconds later, food was dislodged. She was able to breathe again. The uh, uh, Lawrence Police Department in South Carolina posted on Facebook, talk about being in the right place at the right time. Kudos to Corporal Jay Cogdill for his quick thinking and life-saving actions. Job well done, sir. Indeed. Uh, you know, smothered and covered can be delicious, but uh, you don't—you really don't want to inhale your food, no matter how tasty it might be. So, uh, yeah, in the right place at the right time, willing to do the right thing. Corporal Jay Cogdill there in Lawrence, South Carolina, we thank you for your very, very good deed. Now that is about all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But I will encourage you to check out bearingarms.com. We've got a lot more coverage for you. We've got uh, legislative news. We've got uh, litigation. We've got some crazy stories. I, I I actually had to leave a couple of our deals of the day behind. I'm going to write about them uh, at, at the website, including uh, a case out of Massachusetts where somebody who, you know, if you if you lie for the other guy, right? If you if you uh, commit a straw purchase,
1: that can be up to ten years behind bars. But apparently if you steal a gun and you sell that gun out on the street, six days behind bars, does that seem reasonable to you? doesn't seem reasonable to me,
0: but it apparently was reasonable to a judge in Massachusetts. So we've got that story and a whole lot more uh, there for your perusal at com. If you like what you see, i encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member as well. Just go to BarronArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your membership. As Ari was saying, thanks for showing your support. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. New stories and analysis that matter because your support matters. And it truly does make a difference. So thank you again. We'll see you back here tomorrow. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.